الله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله يحب التوابين ويحب المتطهرين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المصنين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so as I just mentioned uh, yesterday we talked about waking up early and the next habit that we're going to talk about briefly today is on maintaining one's personal hygiene and grooming oneself. And what we're referring to specifically is the outward of the believer and how taking care of the outward lends way for the person, for the believer to be able to take care of the inward. Now all of us know that the per- ultimate purpose of deen and the ultimate purpose of all of our actions and deeds is to rectify ourselves and our inward state so that we can present it to Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. But, that, but our deen is designed such that the internal cannot be worked on until the external has been addressed. Right? The internal cannot be worked on and cannot be rectified until the outward has been cleansed and purified. There's many examples of this, right? For instance, we can take the, the simple example of salah, that a person uses salah as a means of purifying themselves so that they can display themselves to Allah on the Day of Judgment. But in order for a person to be able to maximize or to be able to attain any degree of purity in salah, they have to physically perform some, uh, perform, some act of hygiene, right? The wudu in particular. If a person wants to touch the Qur'an, for instance, the same thing applies. The Qur'an is something that helps purify our insides, but we aren't able to, ma- to make, take, we aren't able to maximally benefit from the Qur'an unless we first cleanse and purify our external. Um, we have our physical bodies, for instance. You know, if we say that I want to look the way I want to look and I want to pray Salah, it's not possible. I can't wear extremely short shorts, for instance, and pray the Salah. It's not possible. I have to address my exterior in order for me to then address my interior. Um, similarly, if I have impurity, like if I have a big stain of blood on my clothing that's large, I can't just ignore it and say, I'm just going to delve and jump right into my prayer. I can't perform the salah if there is impurity upon my body. Uh, and this is the idea behind tayammum as well. It's amazing, right? That we have, uh, that the, the sunnah tells us that if you can't purify yourself before prayer because water, which is purifying, is not available, you have to perform the tayammum as a substitute. Now, you could ask, what's the point of that? Like, what would be, what's the need of taking, you know, you could say dust or dirt or touching it and patting myself on the face and on the hands and on the arms? It's not really doing much to purify me physically. But external purity is so important, even to Allah, to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that if you can't do it because water is not available, then at least act out the external purity. Pretend like you're actually uh, cleansing yourself. Amazing. Amazing that, you know, there's even, uh, that we can even take this out of tayammum. So, for, the, for, us in, for us as believers who are striving to be effective in our experience of deen, it's important that we pay attention to our physical hygiene. And I'm going to highlight a few aspects of this as it relates to the life of the Prophet But what it comes down to ultimately is the statement of the Prophet when he says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ جَمِيلٌ يُحِبُّ الْجَمَالِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is beautiful and he loves beauty. And it also comes down to the statement in the Qur'an that إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَاهِرِينَ That Allah Ta'ala loves those, amongst those who repent, He also loves those who purify themselves. So, 
what are some examples that we see from the hadith from the Prophet's lives that highlight the importance of external physical hygiene, well-being, and grooming? We start with, for instance, the body. There's one hadith of the Prophet that is in Ibn Majah. The Prophet says that whoever takes a bath, a ghusl, on, on Friday properly and pour, puts on the best of clothing and then puts on a scent or a perfume and then comes to the masjid uh, and avoids idle talk, etc., that person is forgiven of all of their sins from the prior Jummah. Now, think about this, right? We're talking about external. What? Taking a shower is an external. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's external, right? There's nothing internal about it. Putting on nice clothing or best clothing, it's external. Applying a scent or perfume. These are external things that are lending the way for a person to be able to be forgiven for a week's worth of mistakes and sins that they've made. Right? Um, Sheikh Abdul Fattah, he's a very famous scholar from Syria, from Aleppo. Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, very famous scholar. He says, and he talks about this hadith, that if a person becomes, you know, people then think that, okay, I have to just bathe from Friday to Friday and that's sufficient for hygiene, right? Um, and then you could say, well, you know, but in, in America, people bathe more than once a week. So how do we reconcile these things? And he says that this is essentially like the bare minimum. But if a person becomes sweaty or they become dirty, right, such that they're repulsive toward other people or toward their own families or toward the angels or toward themselves, then that bathing should occur even more frequently. That bathing should occur even more frequently. Uh, that's bathing. The Prophet said another hadith about taking care of the, the gums, right? Taking care of the mouth, which is, you know, emphasized today. We go for our six-month cleanings or four-month cleanings if it's extensive and deep. Um, and the Prophet says, That the siwak, the, the tooth stick that's used to clean the teeth, is beloved, um, is, uh, is cleansing for the gums. And it's pleasing to the Lord. And the Prophet was so particular about, about the miswak. And what we learn from the miswak isn't just the fact that it's the tooth stick. It's the action that is being performed with the tooth stick, which is, let me cleanse my mouth and gums because I'm interacting with people. And in salah, I'm interacting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it was a habit of the Prophet to use the miswak every single time when he used to pray. And it was his habit that when he'd walk into the home, not when he'd leave the home. You know, for us, we brush our teeth when it's time for us to leave the house because we don't want to stink up the people we work, we work with. You know, we don't want our stench to reach the people at work or the people at a party. But the Prophet would enter the home and the first thing he would do was he would clean his mouth because his family members were within the home and he was very uh, particular about his personal hygiene. Um, in fact, he says that he loved this action of cleansing the gum so mouth so much that he would have made it he would have made it mandatory had it not been too difficult upon the ummah to practice this. Right? Just highlighting the importance. We talked about uh, we talked about showering. We're talking about the gums. In another hadith, the Prophet mentions that the five uh, pra- practices of the fitrah. Right? There are five things that are natural to the human being that should be done. They include a few things. Amongst those are shaving the pubic hair so that, you know, for, for a variety of hygienic reasons, trimming the mustache so that it's not long and it collects, you know, food and dirt and dust, etc. And to trim the nails short. Because you know what happens with long nails and all of the dirt and uh, crusting that forms underneath it. Uh, the Prophet removes all of that and highlights to us that it's important for us to address the cleanliness and the purity of our bodies. Right? So it's important 
for those of us that are striving to become effective believers, that we pay close attention to, the, uh, to our own uh, physical bodies. Then there's the hair. Right, the Prophet addresses hair as well. The Prophet says in a hadith in Abu Dawood, he says that whoever has hair, or it's interesting, whoever has hair should take care of it. Should, sorry, should look after it. Whoever has hair should look after it. You can say, well, what does it matter? You know, ultimately if my heart is pure and I'm connected to Allah and I'm praying on time and I'm reciting Quran, what does it matter what my, what my hair looks like? Right, that's just external, superficial, uh, doesn't matter. Prophet says, don't neglect your hair. In fact, once the Prophet, uh, this comes in Mishkat, the collection of Mishkat, the Prophet was walking with the companions and they saw a person who had like disheveled hair, like hair was unkept. And the Prophet said, does he not find such a thing, meaning like oil or some sort of grease, does he not find such a thing that he could uh, use so that he can gather and straighten his hair? Because this disheveled appearance just turned off the Prophet. So could he not, is it not something that he could find? I mean, was there not something around that he could use to maintain his hair? Abu Qatada radiallahu anhu, who's a companion of the Prophet he would say that um, he, he had long hair. And he went to the Prophet and he asked the Prophet should I comb my hair? Should I maintain my hair? And the Prophet said, yes, you should look after it. Right? You should look after it. Meaning, these things that we deem to be superficial and external and disconnected to deen are 100% connected to deen and it's important that we take care of the external. Now, this is cleanliness and purity. There's also taking care of our bodies from a physical standpoint so that we are in good shape. Right? And there's a couple of things to highlight about this. Um, you know, many a times we get into shape because either it looks good, our physique may appeal to other people, it may make us just feel good. But uh, how many of us are doing this because this was the physique of the Prophet ﷺ as well, to look and be in shape? Uh, you know, it comes in a hadith. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, there's a very famous hadith when the Prophet ﷺ was making the hijrah from Mecca to Medina and he stopped along the way. And, you know, there was a lady who, they had, uh, who, who's, who goes by the name of Ummu um, uh, Ma'bad. She gives a very detailed description of the Prophet ﷺ, and many of you have heard it. Right? It describes his eyebrows, it describes his hair, it describes his shoulders, it describes his, uh, his, um, his presence. Right? All of these things are described. But there's one thing in there that's mentioned that I think we often overlook. And she says, and it comes uh, in that, um, uh, she says, لَمْ تَعِبْهُ ثُجْلَةً That his... Uh, stomach and chest, you could, his stomach would not protrude unusually, right? And, and, and if we look at the timing of when this hadith was, how old was the Prophet He was making hijrah from Mecca to Medina, so he was probably around the age of 53 years old. And we all know by a certain age, especially for men, but even for women, uh, it's difficult to maintain our, our own weight when it comes to a certain age. It becomes much more challenging to do. The Prophet said, at age 53, his chest was in line with his stomach, right? Which means that apple form of obesity, which is common for men, where right? women have the more pear-shaped obesity. Apple in the sense that most of our weight uh, in men tends to grow around the stomach rather than in the hips and thighs that occurs more commonly in women. The Prophet didn't have that in this description. It was straight. You could say like flat abs, you know, type at age 53. Um, the Prophet said about overeating, right? Again, this idea that the physical body shouldn't just be ignored to the point where it becomes overweight. The Prophet ﷺ says that there's no vessel that can be filled that is, more, that is worse than the stomach. There's no vessel that can be filled, meaning stuffed, that is worse than the stomach. So, 
not just the hair of the Prophet would he, would he be, would he, was he particular about, not only was his physical appearance in terms of scent and appearance and things like that, but also in terms of physique, we see this highlighted as important when it comes to our deen. And then finally, um, clothing, right? This is all part of our grooming and our personal hygiene and, and the clothes that we wear. And we know that the Prophet didn't have an entire wardrobe worth of clothing. We, didn't, we know that he didn't have 10 different outfits to wear every single day. He didn't have, you know, hangers just lined up and drawers filled with clothing. But what we learn from our scholars of deen is that the way, and the Prophet as well, that the way we look in terms of our clothing is also very important. And we should pay attention to it as well. It's not something that we just take haphazardly is the point. And just to give you a few examples, uh, and again, this is the, these are the advices of our scholars, and if, if we look back in our, in our history, the most effective people in Islam that have come after the Sahaba and after the Tabi'een are going to be the scholars of our deen. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of our deen would say, the beauty that Allah likes includes nice clothes. The beauty that Allah likes includes nice clothes. A Muslim ought to be recognized by nice dress, cleanliness, and a graceful appearance. Right? A Muslim should be recognized by nice dress, uh, cleanliness, by neat dress, cleanliness, and a, gra- and a uh, graceful appearance. Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, uh, we all know Imam Ghazali, one of the great scholars of our deen, who essentially revived the deen. Ihya Ulum al-Din, which is a book that we had actually covered in Irtikaf here on more than one occasion, uh, portions of that book. In that very voluminous text, he, he, he says, and this is the rough translation, um, this aim, meaning of cleanliness, is an obligation upon every knowledgeable person tasked with presenting the creation with the call to Allah Almighty, that he takes care of his outward or her outward appearance so as not to compel people to avoid him or her. Meaning that in particular for those of us that have the responsibility of inviting people to Allah, and I, and I tell you, that's every single person in this room. We, don't, we live in a society where once we're outside, we are, now, um, we, we are now calling people to Allah just by our presence, right? Because the majority of people don't believe. So we are a walking, talking form of da'wah, whether we like it or not. At any given moment in time, we are either attracting people toward Allah or we're repulsing or repelling people from Allah, right? At any given moment. So he says, in particular for these people, i.e. all of us, it's important that we take care of our outward appearance so as to, as to not compi- compel people to avoid us. Because naturally, if people see a Muslim who doesn't look well kept, who's not groomed well, who's not, who doesn't smell well, uh, who doesn't smell good, etc., they're not going to be attracted to, toward the believer. And our goal is to attract people to us so that they can learn about our inward beauty, right? Our outward beauty attracts them so that they can learn about what's really on our inside. And the final is Sheikh Abdul Fattah, going back to Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, again, a very famous scholar from Syria, from Aleppo, a contemporary scholar within the last century. He writes, and honestly, I mean, if, if you ever have an opportunity to read one of his books, it's just very enlightening, right? And he, he passed away just a few decades ago. He says, dress properly, even among fr- friends and relatives. Dress properly, even among friends and relatives. Dress properly when, li- when visiting your parents a pious person, an elder, or even a relative or a friend. Your attire should be clean and elegant, not ugly or unsightly. We are attracted or repulsed by what we see. Whether we like it or not, we are attracted or repulsed by what we see. 
If you look good in clean clothes, smell nice, you will be pleasant to look at and people will be attracted to you and enjoy your presence. If you were the opposite, people will look down on you even if you were a relative or a friend. To look good while visiting or being visited is an instinctive trait in addition to being an Islamic manner. Do not ignore this aspect because you consider yourself to be close to your host or your guests. Sometimes we take things lightly. Like, okay, I'll look nice when I go to a party, uh, but when it comes to you know, going to the store, I'll be a mess. Or when it comes to my own home, I'll dress down. Right? I'll dress down. You know? But he's mentioning here that even within the close people that we interact with, it's important for us to dress well. And I'm going to come back to that point in a moment. Now, just before we mention the practice points, um, it's important to understand that dressing well and grooming well doesn't mean that you have to be overly fancy. It doesn't mean that you have to have a wardrobe full of 40 different types of clothes. Right? We know that this was not the case of the Prophet ﷺ. It means that we should be simple in our clothing and our appearance, but we should be proper. We should be simple, but we should be proper. We should smell good, we should look clean, but not overly gaudy and not overly fancy, not being extravagant in our clothing, right? And we learned this from the example of the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, you know, we see this uh, leveraged by even common people, successful people today. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Steve Jobs, right? You guys know Steve Jobs? He, who is he, Steve Jobs? Yeah, he was, the, he was a former CEO of Apple who passed away. Um, so what was his wardrobe, right? He used to wear uh, a black turtleneck. He used to wear je blue jeans and New Balance shoes every day. That was his entire wardrobe. You know, billionaire would have the same clothes lined up and he'd wear that same thing every single day. Mark Zuckerberg, another you know, successful person from a dunyawi perspective, billionaire. What does he wear? Gray t-shirt, blue jeans. And if you look at his, his wardrobe, it's literally the same thing. Right? And the reason they do this is because of a principle called decision fatigue. Decision fatigue means, and maybe you've experienced this, that you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, what should I wear today? So you go into the closet and you're thinking, oh, should I match this shirt with this pant? Should I, you know, will this purse go with these shoes? And you spend all this time using brain power on what clothes should be worn that you end up wasting some of that activity. These people have to get to work and make decisions for multi-million, billion dollar corporations. They don't have the brain energy to waste on what clothing should I wear today, right? I've even seen this in my own teacher uh, who dresses in the sunnah and he just wears the same thing every day. I mean, looks good, ironed well, smells good, etc., 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 but doesn't have the time to like figure out like, you know, should I wear this day, this, that day, Mondays this, Tuesdays this, and we just spend a lot of energy. Now, that doesn't mean we can't wear different clothing. The Prophet obviously wore different colors of clothes, different types of clothes. We should do that. The point is that we don't have to have an extravagant and excessive wardrobe in order to follow this sunnah of the Prophet and these teachings from our scholars. So, um, the two practice points then for today, and we'll conclude inshallah. The first practice point is that we should adjust our niyyah. We should adjust our niyyah. Now, for, what I mean by this is that many of us, because of other reasons, we're very particular about our personal hygiene and our grooming. We look good when it comes to going to work. We take a shower every morning. We make sure our nails are trimmed. Our beard is well kept. Our hair is groomed, etc. But we do it for the purpose of just that. Uh, if we did it with the intention of pleasing Allah and approaching Allah, recognizing that if I work on my external, my internal will be taken care of, inshallah, through some effort as well, um, then we'll be rewarded for all of that effort as well. The hours that we spend at the gym trying to lose weight, 
or trying to build muscle. The, uh, the sacrifices that we make by trying to eat healthy or trying to eat keto or trying to eat you know, Mediterranean, these now are rewarded because our intention has shifted away from doing it for myself or for some other person uh, or, or for just whatever. Now it's for the sake of Allah. Now all of that time and effort and energy and cost and money that we spend on grooming and taking care of ourselves physically is now time that's rewarded and potentially time that's going to draw us closer to Allah. That's practice point number one, is to adjust our intention. Practice point number two, and this is maybe a tough one, but I, I want us to think about this, and that is uh, that we should try to wear, we should be presentable even in our own homes. We should be presentable even in our own homes. Now, what happens when we walk into the house, uh, we tend to dress down significantly, right? Pajamas come out, sweats come out, we look scrubby, right? And that's purposely done. Because we're thinking, what does it matter? You know, I'm at home. It's the people I see every day. What does it matter? Um, but it's important for us to, you know, if it's important for us to dress up when we go outside and see strangers so that strangers think highly of us, it's more important for the people that we live with within our home, our children, our spouses, our parents, to look at us and say, oh, subhanAllah, or mashallah, you look good. You look good. You know, in fact, you know, one of the, th this is one of the ways of addressing uh, even infidelity within marriages. Right? If the husband and wife aren't looking nice and presentable within the home and the husband is just disheveled, doesn't take a shower unless he goes out, does, you know, clothing, you know, clothes are all um, you know, just all over the place and the wife is the same, well then naturally the eyes are going to want to wander toward the beautiful people that are walking outside the house or that are on screens. So even within the home, it's important that we establish a setup Especially if there are other people within the home, roommates, parents, siblings, children, etc., that we look presentable. The, the same types of clothing that we would wear outside, there's no reason why we can't wear that within the home as well. So that the people within the home are also attracted to us. We should have our children look properly and dress formally, not formally, but dress properly and, and clean within the home. Our spouses, we ourselves should also do this as well. So, inshallah, these are the two take-home practice points. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a tawfiq to uh, learn from the uh, cleanliness and purity that's exemplified by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be mindful of our personal hygiene and our personal grooming. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to uh, be from amongst those whom he loves because we are from the mutatahirin. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.